And let's shift into the scripture reading, which is from Genesis 27, verses 5 through 10, and I'll be reading from the ESV version. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. This is the word of God. Good afternoon, guys. Uh, we are in the middle of a series titled, Awe, oh, as you can see by this wonderful poster behind me. Uh, what does it mean to awe? We've been talking about for about a month now about awe. To awe in something, for you and I to awe in something, it literally means to be utterly afraid. That's a literal meaning of to awe, English word awe. But really, that idea doesn't explain the true meaning of this word all. C.S. Lewis, I've mentioned this, I think, in, my, in our Philippian series. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Problem of Pain, a classic, helps us understand this idea of all. And Lewis says, imagine that we come across a wild tiger. I mean, that's really hard to imagine because we haven't seen a wild tiger. But imagine we come across a wild tiger. The likely emotion you would experience will be what? Will be joy? No, it will be fear. You'll be terrified. Imagine now, so keep that emotion. Imagine now you believed you were in the presence of ghosts, which is even harder to imagine, but just imagine, right? You've heard these ghost stories, your presence of ghosts. The feeling would be fear, but you would be more eerie, right? You would be afraid, but you'd be more eerie. Then imagine you, you believed you were in the presence of a mighty spirit. The feeling would have been one step more removed from fear, perhaps the best described as awe. I made it really complicated for you guys. It's like, oh, this is more complicated. It is a complicated word for us to understand. But really, it is speaking of being in the presence of something infinitely powerful and being astonished by it. I told this story maybe a couple weeks ago about me visiting Seattle for the first time and friends of mine took me island hopping and, and remember, uh, we're in a boat crossing the waters. And at one moment, we saw this whale from far away and just jumping out of the water. And I was in awe. It was sort of that experience, what awe, what awe really means. It is speaking of being in the presence of something infinitely powerful. And, and Pastor John talked about this. All of us, no matter who you are, by our design, the way we're created, we have been created to live in awe our capacity. And whatever our object of awe will deeply shape the direction of your life. We've been talking about that over the last several weeks. Whatever you are in, whatever you place your hope and identity in will vastly shape the way you live, whether that's materials, whether that's possession, whether that's money, whether that's family, whatever, whether that's God will deeply shape the direction of your life. And a couple of weeks back, when we launched this series, we looked at the story of Genesis 3, the story of Adam and Eve, the, the most heartbreaking, tragic story in all of Scripture. 
Because prior to this event in Genesis 3, what was in the Eden was a perfect shalom, perfect peace. There was no sin, no sickness, no animosity, only a perfect sense of shalom. But the place, the only place there was no shalom was in the heart of Adam and Eve, first humans. There was a sense of discontentment. It began to grow. Eventually, Adam and Eve bought into the devastating lie, the most devastating lies of all lies. What is the lie? It is the same lie that rules every heart of every sinner. And the lie is the belief that life can be found outside of our Creator. It is hope that true rest, true spiritual peace, and true spiritual satisfaction can be found somewhere other than Creator God. That's why Adam and Eve took the fruit. The one thing God told them not to touch, they took it because they believed for a moment that there was life outside of Creator. And really, if you think about sin, this idea of sin, I know we grew up in the church and we've defined sin in so many ways. At the foundational level, what is sin? If you consider what is sin, is it simply breaking rules? You have the Bible, there are these rules, and if we break them, it is sin. Yes, breaking sin, breaking rules is involved in sin. But at the foundational level, it's not about breaking rules. Sin is breaking relationship, relationship with the Holy One, Christ. And at a deep and often un unnoticed level, sin really, at the heart of it, replaces God, worship of God with worship of self. That's really the story of Genesis 3, Adam and Eve. That's the story of Cain and Abel. That's the story of many, many men and women throughout Scripture replacing worship of God for worship of self. What, what Pastor Paul Tripp, the book that we've been leaning on through the series called All, he coins it All Amnesia. This idea of all brokenness. And two weeks ago, we looked at Jonah chapter 4 through the story of Jonah. Very interesting story. We've addressed some of the symptoms, right? When our awe goes wrong, when there's awe amnesia in our lives, in your life, in my life, here are some of the symptoms we talked about. Self-centeredness, inability to see beyond ourselves and our needs. We also talked about anger. We talked about entitlement. And we saw through Jonah, God's prophet, the, the, the terrible, tragic ending to that book of Jonah standing outside and, and protesting against God's wonderful mercy and grace towards the Ninevites. And today, we're going to be in Genesis 27. We're going to take a look at another Old Testament story, a famous one, story of one of the most prominent families in all of Scripture. Story of Jacob and Esau, the twin Babies or twin brothers. And when you read Genesis 25, 26, 27, when you see the story of Jacob and Esau, there's lots of drama. Right? We see favoritism. Obviously, Isaac and Rebekah has their own favorite son. There is deceit, mistrust, secrets, which eventually leads to anger, betrayal. One thing that is abundantly clear is that everyone in this family has been marred with past, what Pastor Paul Tripp calls as all amnesia, right? That's true of Jacob the father. That's true of Rebecca the mother. And we see Jacob and Esau, they, they do all the, I'm sorry, Isaac the father and Jacob and Esau. All of the characters in Genesis 27 will soon see 
that they've all been marred with what we call all amnesia. And, and, and everyone has contributed to this dysfunctional dynamic. You think about Esau in this story, and you're like, Esau's innocent. He's just been, you know, conned his birthright. But, but if you look at Genesis 25, few chapters before the story of Genesis 27, Esau traded away his birthright for a bowl of soup. He didn't care for it. He didn't honor the order that God has set. So three symptoms I want to talk about through this story. Three symptoms. First symptom we find through this passage is mistrust. Everyone say mistrust. Not just any type of mistrust, but really mistrust in God's timing and the way of God working out His will in the lives of His people. That's the mistrust that we see here. Verse 5, if you, if you open up Genesis 27 with me, uh, we're going to just walk through the story. Verse 5, so Rebekah, the mother, overhears Jacob's conversation, I'm sorry, Isaac's conversation with Esau, right? Isaac, her husband, is on his deathbed. He doesn't know when he's going to go and tells their oldest son Esau to go out hunting Cook him his favorite meal, and when he does that, he's going to give his final blessing. Remember, when Rebecca was about to give birth, if we rewind the story, when Rebecca was about to give birth to these twin babies, she felt a strange struggle. The scripture says they found, she felt a strange struggle within her, and she was worried, so she prayed, and in answer to her prayer, God had revealed to her that what? The younger one is going to be over the older one. The younger one was going to be greater than the older one. Jacob was going to be first, and Esau was going to be second. There was going to be change of ordering. God had revealed that very clearly, that both sons would be leader of nations. But again, the older one will serve the younger one. So when she hears her husband's plan to bless Esau, the older one, going against what was spoken over her about God's ordering. When she hears of her husband's plan to bless the older one, what does she do in her passage in verse 5? Does she pray? Does she wait for God to move? Does she trust in God's way of working things out? No. She doesn't do any of these things. She becomes completely restless and anxious and, it, and to her, it looked like God was running out of time. Any of you guys feel that way about COVID, about what's happening in your life? You feel like God's running out of time? God has promised you something. God has promised you maybe of, of marriage, of building a family, and you look back and you're like 40 now, and you're like, where's my family? Where am I? God has ran out of time. Anyone feel like that? So, so Rebecca felt like that. So Rebecca grabs Jacob in the story and basically gives him a new inheritance. What's the new inheritance? She passes down her ability to deceive. Without using words, she's teaching her younger son, her younger son, how not to trust God, but how to work the system. That's really the story here. You know, we have many parents in our congregation and we all want to raise our kids according to the Lord. Right? We, we want to raise our kids so that later when they grow up, they'll love the Lord, right? 
But I've learned in, in my short years of parenting, what I've learned is it's not what I tell my kids that really matters. It's actually my actions. It's what I do. Like Emma is turning seven. She turned seven. And she's going to be first grade. And it's amazing how much she knows about my life, Lois's life, what we think, what we believe, what we love, more than even ourselves. So, for example, Sunday comes for, for us. Sunday comes. And your kids are asking you, Dad, Mom, are we going to go to church today? And you're like, ah, oh, we're tired. It's been a long week. It's, air's not good. It's, it's cold. Let's just watch on YouTube. Let's just, let's just watch online. Or maybe you're on, on, a, on a weekend getaway and you, you, you tell your kids, hey, guys, guys, be quiet. We're going to turn on service for, for the next few minutes. You know what you're telling your kids when we do that? You're, you're telling your kids, you may say we love God, we're going to worship God. At the end, what you're telling your kids is worship is not that important. You can come in and out of worship. Right? I mean, I realize as I'm parenting these, these two girls, there's so much I'm, I'm, I'm teaching without any words. Before I get an email, let's move on. Back to the story. Uh, what's happened to Rebecca, right? Really, if you think about it, what's happened to this, this woman of God who was really committed to God, who had relationship with God? You see, her own version or her, her own vision of life has replaced her worship of God. That's really the problem when you look at the story of Rebecca, right? As soon as e life events, things in her life do not turn out the way she had always envisioned, that her husband Isaac on his deathbed blessing Jacob, the chosen son. As soon as that does not happen, what does she do? She becomes extremely anxious and then she fails to wait on God. Right? So she takes matters into her own hands. Really, the story, Genesis 27, is not about Jacob. It's not just about Jacob deceiving his father and taking from his brother. It's actually also Rebecca. She's just as involved, if not more. This is her idea. Friends, in each of us, there are whispers and promises of God that He has planted inside of us. Some of these promises go five years back, go 20 years back, maybe 30 years back. And sometimes He feels as though God is taking way more time to do what's, what He said He would do. And we get caught up trying to help Him along the way. Or the way he fulfills his promises look very different from the way we had always envisioned it. Whether that's your career, whether that's your relationship, whether that's building a family or something else. And truth is, reality is, it takes tremendous amount of faith to wait on God. Like waiting is hard. Like 90% of children's books about waiting. Waiting is hard, and I hate waiting, right? It takes tremendous amount of strength to trust and wait on God. Like, it's so much easier to take matters into our own hands and just try to get things done. But friends, I confess to you, in my walk with the Lord, in the years that I've walked with the Lord, nothing ever good came out of my own life whenever I try to make things happen in my own timing, in my own way, whether that's ministry, 
what's dealing with, with what's happening in the church, whether that's relationships, whether it's my marriage, parenting. Nothing good ever came out when I said, I'm going to just do it, Lord. You're taking way too long. I think I could do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. It's going to take longer. Look at Israelites. They had to, tr- they had to spend 40 years in the wilderness. It, 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 was, it was like probably a 10-day trip. It took 40 years. So first symptom we see is this mistrust, inability to wait on God. Second symptom we see in the story is closely tied to inability to wait. It, it is tied to mistrust. When you and I begin to mistrust God's timing or God's way of working out His promises, what do we do? We take control. Some of us love control. We love controlling our calendar. We love controlling our temperature in our house. We love controlling our little, little children and our pets. And just, we love, we love it. It's so tempting to be able to control life. And, and, and this is one of the symptoms in, 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 our, in our culture. This illusion of being able to control everything, whether through our apps and devices and and schedule, and timers, and calendar. We feel like we control everything. There's this desire, constant desire to be in control. So we see Rebecca in verse 8 tells Jacob, Now Jacob, listen to me and do exactly I tell you. In verse 18, 19 of our passage, Jacob does exactly what his mom tells him to do and takes the food to his father pretending to be his older brother. And, and it, gets just, it gets just bad to worse. So Isaac on his deathbed is surprised that Esau is back so quickly and so asks Jacob, how'd you prepare this so quickly? I mean, you just left. You, you caught something and you cooked it and you brought it back within an hour. I mean, this is crazy. And listen to what Jacob says in verse 20 of our passage. He says, the Lord your God put it in my path. See, now things have gotten bad to worse. He brings God into his deception, right? And do you see, friends, do you see the tragic irony in this story? Do you see the tragic irony of Jacob's lie? He involves, he brings God into his deception in order to get God's blessing. His willing to lie about God. He's willing to lie about what the Lord did in order to get the Lord's blessing. You see, for Jacob, if Rebecca's awe, if Rebecca's sort of identity was fixated on her vision for life, for Jacob, it's always been this one thing. What's the one thing? To be given the birthright of the family, right? Scripture tells us Jacob came out of his mother's womb holding on to the heel of his own brother Esau, right? And ever since he was young, this desire to be the, the older son, this desire to be, have the, the blessings of the, the, the birthright has captivated Jacob's heart. So when his mother tells him to deceive his own father on his deathbed, Jacob doesn't hesitate. He's ready to do whatever it takes to be able to get what he wants. Friends, do you want to know if you and I, we have control issues? Because it's, it's hard to know whether you have control issues. I mean, unless 
your, your control issue is really out there, and then you have someone who's honest enough to tell you you have control issues, it's really hard. Some of the common ways our control issues come out is dishonesty or, or lying by omission, small lies here, not clarifying, not bringing truth, being overprotective, expecting perfection from yourself and others. I mean, it could come out in so many ways, jealousy, being jealous of others. All of these things are deeply damaging to ourselves and others. Like being controlling is terrible. Have you ever had a controlling boss? It's like the worst thing. And this desire to control, our desire to control, becomes even greater when we sense fear and anxiety. When we feel overwhelmed with, with challenges of life, when we feel emotionally drained and fragile, right? But friends, here's the most wonderful truth about God that the scripture reveals to us over and over and over again. Throughout scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, what we see is a God, creator God, who is utterly sovereign through and through. That's what the scripture is declaring over and over again through these wonderful stories, right? This means everything that's happened in your life or that is happening in your life, everything that will happen in your future, all the joys and challenges and everything in between, happens under God's perfect sovereign authority. No location, no situation or relationship that you and I will ever find ourselves in is outside of His wise and careful rule. And really, you and I have been created, have been designed to be mystified, to blown away, to be left in silent, worshipful amazement in the face of His unshakable, eternal sovereignty over everything that exists in our lives. And this story in Genesis 27, this crazy story of people doing whatever they think is right, is a wonderful example of how, how amazing, how sovereign God is over human actions and choices and decisions. Right? We see a lot of bad decisions by Jacob, by Esau, by Rebekah and Isaac, and we see it throughout the book of Genesis. Yet God is continually writing His story He's able to make, you know, create, not just lemon out of lemonade, create something wonderful out of just terrible choices that we human beings make. That's the summary, not only of the book of Genesis, but all of Scripture, God working out His wonderful plan through imperfect perfect agents like you and I. Friends, your restlessness... Are you feeling restless? Has your season under this, this pandemic or whatever, you're whatever is challenging you, has it made you restless? Are you biting your fingernails? I've done that. Lois hates it when I do it. Are you, are you, are you restless now? Are you thinking about, oh, man, the project that I need to work on or uh, what I'm going to have for lunch or what I'm going to do tomorrow? Our kid is going to have to do this. Are you feeling restless? Even, even now as you're sitting here, This is what I realized about my own restlessness. My own inability to sleep at night and, and just be like this image. 
I realized my restlessness, restlessness is not caused by this pandemic as, as much as I would like to believe. It is not caused by my life's challenges that are facing me, challenges at home, challenges at work, challenges in ministry, in my relationships with other people. No, none of those things are the true source of my restlessness. This is what I'm learning. You see, what I've learned, the heart of the matter, the reason why I am so restless, the reason why you may be so restless is that we have turned our gaze away from God, who is utterly sovereign, who is utterly faithful, who is utterly in control of not only my life, but your life. So really, the restlessness is also another symptom of our awe amnesia, just like mistrust, restlessness, taking control. Third and final symptom we see in our passage is envy. Ooh, envy. Envy is hard. Envy is also very hidden. You like the image? He's envious of his other friend who has no hair. Um, the author of Genesis tells us Jacob came out of his mother's womb holding on to the heel of his brother. This is the story of Jacob's life. And from that very moment, Jacob has lived his whole life trying to prove to himself and to the rest of the world that he deserves to be the older son. Envy and jealousy has marred Jacob's life, his whole life. Envy is the reason why Jacob deceives his own father who is about to die. Envy is, is what destroys his relationship not only with his father but with his brother. He's got only one brother. Everybody else got like seven siblings. This is all they got in this story. This is all they got, one brother. And envy is the reason why at the end of this chapter, Jacob has to live away from home, fearing his life. Ethan Cross, a professor of psychology at the University of Michigan, says, he, talks, he says this about envy. Today, with the arrival of social media, envy has taken to an extreme. We're constantly bombarded by Photoshop lives, which exerts a toll on us, the likes of which we have never experienced in the history of our species. You know, Instagram is only like 10 years old. Do you realize this? Like, our parents did not grow up watching Instagram. Like, we did not grow up having an Instagram account, right? Instagram's only been around, what, 10? Someone Google, like 15 years? Not even 15. I bet it's like less than 10 years. Like, iPhone's been only been around for like 10 years or 15 years. So, so what we are experiencing is unlike anyone has ever experienced in all of human history, right? In the past, people might have just envied their neighbors, right? But now we can compare ourselves with everyone across the world, right? We carry our MB application device in our pockets 24-7, right? We sleep with the next two, our pillows, and it tempts us 24 hours a day the moment we wake up, even if it's in the middle of the night. We can just open it up. And we begin to see other people's life, Photoshop life of what they eat. We envy their food, we envy their kids, we envy their bodies, we envy whatever. There's just, it's so easy. So it is no exaggeration to say we live in an age of envy. 
And what, la- what lies at the heart of it, if you really think about why we are so envious or jealous of someone else, at the heart of ev- every envious person is, is it's much deeper than simply not having the desire to, desire to have more than others. Like we think about envy and jealousy as, oh, that person has a nice car. I wish I had the nice car, right? It's, it's, it's not simply the desire to have more than others. Yes, that's definitely part of it. I think the bigger portion of envy is feeling these feelings of not having enough. That's why a millionaire can be envious of a billionaire, right? Really, when you, when you, when you talk to a really wealthy person, really wealthy people, they could still be very envious because there are a lot more people that are much more wealthier than them, right? The feelings of inferiority and and, and frustration occasioned by the lack in ourselves. That's really what it is. The, The feelings and the frustration of realizing we don't have enough. So really, friends, when you think about our envy problem, it is not simply a need problem. Right? You're envious of your neighbor's car, and you buy that car, the problem does not end there. It is not simply a desire for equality. Life is not fair. My friend has this nice, wonderful house. I don't. At the foundational level, it is just like the issue of mistrust, just like issue of anger, just like issue of selfishness, it is also an all problem. You see, as soon as you and I take our eyes off of the wonderful and the beauty, the wonder and the beauty of our Creator God and turn our, our eyes onto ourselves, we will continue. We can't help but to be fixated on not just ourselves, but what we lack. And really, when we lose the sight of the wonder and the beauty of God and His wonderful grace, it's impossible for us to live in gratitude about what we have. Instead, our capacity to awe will be shrunken down, right? If we don't do that, our, our, our capacity of awe will be shrunken down to the size of our wants and felt needs. The only true remedy to our envy problem is living in this reverential awe of the magnitude of God's power and authority, to live stunned by the fact that God exercises power for His glory and also for your good, to rest assured in the fact that God is a good Father who knows us and who knows what we need. Really, that's the only remedy for envious heart. I mean, I think I love electronics. Do you guys love electronics? Not many of you guys. Maybe I love electronics. I always talk about electronics, and I'm always upgrading my devices, and I have an old iPad, and I upgrade to a new iPad, and then as soon as I upgrade to a new iPad, you think I'm happy? No. I want the best thing. There's a new iPad that comes out every three months. It seems like every three months, right? There's like 15 different iPads. Why? Do we need 15 different iPads? No. Because what? The companies understanding the customer is envious. Like it's really what you need. You just need to create 15 products and, and create a little bit of differences with a little bit of different features and make people desire the best thing. 
I don't know why, I, I, it's a little bit of confession. I, I love electronics. You need to pray for me. I got I to stop. But we got to be able to rest assured in the fact that we have a good father who not only knows us, but who knows what we need. You see, we read this story in Genesis 27 of Rebecca and, and Jacob and Esau and Isaac. And we are appalled by the failings of everyone in this story. I mean, it's like, can you believe this family? Yet truth is, my life and your life, our lives are very different from the stories of Genesis 27. In fact, the Bible, again, is filled with stories, the worst stories than what Rebecca and Jacob did in our passage. Every symptom that we talked about today, whether it's mistrust, whether the sense of restlessness or the need to control, are, 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 deep, are deep part of your life and my life. And, and the application of this message is not, I'm not trying to tell you, stop being envious of others. Or it's not to tell you, stop being anxious about your life. That's the worst thing to tell somebody who's anxious, like, stop being anxious. I wish I could stop. Now you're making me anxious by telling me not to be anxious. It is not to tell you, stop trying to take matters into your own hands. Truth is, we are incapable of actually doing any of those things. We are more like Rebecca and Jacob than we would ever like to admit. So what's the remedy? What's the solution? The solution is to understand what, what God had to do in order to save us from these symptoms. This is why, friends, this is why Jesus came into our world as one of us. This is why the gospel is so precious, so wonderful. It is different from any other worldview, any other solution that we can find from other teachers of this world. The gospel tells us Jesus, a rabbi teacher, he, as he has spent his time on this earth as one of us, he has shown us how to live life, right? If you look at Jesus' story and the life that he lived, he has taught us, he's modeled for us how to, how to truly trust, how to truly rest, how to truly live in gratitude. And in the end, not only he lived a life that we could not live, but he died the death that you and I have earned. And he defeated not only sin, death, and now, because of his sacrifice and his modeling and his grace, his wonderful life, we get to join in. He has invited us to live in that very power, that very glory, in the very, very way that he has lived his life. And that's really the story of not only Genesis 27, but the story that we are called to live out, to trust in our Savior, to trust in our champion who has done these things for us. Amen? No emails, guys. Just come to church, all right? Let me pray. Let's, let's pray. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for Genesis 27. Lord, um, we, we read this story and there's so much drama. But we confess there's so much drama in our own families, in our own lives. Lord, it is our confession that we struggle 
to wait on you, Lord. It is so tempting to just take the bull by its horn and just move and try to make things happen. It is so tempting to, to take control. It is so tempting, God, to, to, to not wait. It is a confession. We are deeply envious of, of, of life, of our friends, life of our coworkers. So Jesus, we need you uh, because we, there is no answer in us. There's no remedy in us. And Jesus, we lean into the life that you have lived, the death you have died, the victory that you have won. Would you refresh us again? Would you remind us again? Would you encourage us again? Lord, we pray for those that are struggling that, that have come today with a, a, a prayer request, maybe concerning their career, concerning their business, concerning their relationship, concerning their emotional struggle, some struggling with depression. Lord, we come in needing of your grace. Would you speak to us? Would you remind us that you are indeed a good father? Lilies in the field, the birds in the air, they do not toil or sow or do anything, yet you provide for them. Lord, remind us of your faithfulness, of your grace. If anyone is struggling with, with depression, if anyone is struggling with 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 fear, if anyone is struggling with envy, if anyone is struggling with Anything that is not of you, Lord, would you, your spirit, speak to us today? Your spirit touch us today. Would you heal us today? We thank you, Lord. We love you. Just send me pray. Amen.